Welcome to the Bulwark Podcast. I'm Charlie Sykes. Amanda Carpenter actually claims that she was off social media for an entire week on vacation, spending time with her family. See, I always assume that people in the media and politics who say that, hey, I have to uh, get off Twitter to spend more time with my family are making it up. But but you actually did do that, didn't you, Amanda? I did. And it was shockingly fun. Um, my kids now are seven and nine. And so they are now actually really fun to hang out with. You know, before it's a lot of caretaking, making sure they get fed on time and not cranky. Uh-huh. And did you pack your stuff? But now that all the handholding has started to recede, and they can actually, you know, go a couple hours without needing a snack and melting down. It's really fun. No, they're, um, they're actually people now. So yes. we went to Mount Vernon um, for a day trip. I mean, we didn't go anywhere crazy. We just around the house, cleaned out my garage. Yay. Um, but we hiked all around there. They did a Hamilton tour at Mount Vernon where you have a guide that takes you around and he explains all the references in Hamilton, the movie, um, which they're sort of familiar with. I mean, they don't really get all of it, especially the second half, which is kind of adult. Um, but they knew enough to latch onto it. And so highly recommend that if you have kids and you come to the Washington area, um, I, I think it's better than the Smithsonian. They have like a little uh, map where they can check off things and learn about it. It just, it, it was great. We c- could have easily spent a couple more days there. There's so much to walk and see and just enjoy, especially on a beautiful spring day. So, so you, actually, you like discovered that you had a life and that was interesting, which is I mean, I'm looking forward to that at some point. <laughs> it's, a, it's something. It's a prospect. People are going, "Hey, what was? What is that actually like?" Okay, so you come back in time for all kinds of things that are happening. Um, many impor- important things are happening. Um, the massive infrastructure uh, deal that the White House is unveiling. The debate over voting rights. Uh, Capitol cops suing Donald Trump. We have an internal memo from the House GOP, basically saying we have to double down on on uh, support for for Trump. But before we get it, and of course, the, the big debate now over vaccine passports, because we needed another cultural war. We, we'd exhausted all of the other cultural wars. So now it's going to become uh, mask mandates and vaccines. But before we get into any of that, I'm sorry. You know, I'm just I'm not. I'm, I, I know it's coming. No, I guess I'm not. I'm not going <laughs> to. I'm not going to pretend that I have not opened up a big box of popcorn for this Matt Gates story. Okay. The pizza Gates story, big headline in the New York times. Matt Gates is said to face justice department inquiry over sex with an underage girl. And if that wasn't juicy enough, he goes on Tucker Carlson's show last night in what even Tucker Carlson describes as one of the weirdest interviews he ever had. So let's play Let's play cut number one of Matt Gates explaining what's really going on with this story. You know, again, I, I, I really saw this as a deeply troubling challenge for my family on March 16th when people were, you know, talking about. So this is obviously a serious allegation. Tell us what the truth is from your perspective. It is a horrible allegation and it is a lie. The New York Times is running a story that I have traveled with a 17-year-old woman, and that is verifiably false. People can look at my travel records and see that that is not the case. What is happening is an extortion of me and my family involving a former Department of Justice official. On March 16th, my father got a text message demanding a meeting wherein a person demanded $25 million in exchange for making horrible sex trafficking allegations against me go away. 
our family was so troubled by that, we went to the local FBI. And the FBI and the Department of Justice were so concerned about this attempted extortion of a member of Congress that they asked my dad to wear a wire, which he did with the former Department of Justice official. Tonight, I am demanding mm. that the mm. Department of Justice and the FBI release the audio recordings that were made under their supervision and at their direction, which will prove my innocence and that will show that these allegations aren't true. They're merely intended to try to bleed my family out of money. Well, that would be big if true. I mean, obviously, if that's going on, of course. Uh, but he, he also addresses other allegations that are made against him. Um, here's just one more soundbite from that. You know, again, I, I, I really saw this as a deeply troubling challenge for my family on March 16th when people were you know, talking about a, a minor and that there were pictures of me with child prostitutes. Uh, that's obviously false. There will be no such pictures because no such thing happened. Um, but really on March 16th was when this got going from the extortion standpoint. From the extortion standpoint, and at, w at one point he says, uh, hey, so Tucker, you and I went to dinner. I brought a friend of mine. You remember her. You you were there. And Tucker goes, no, I, I, I don't. I don't remember that at all. So um, this investigation apparently was begun uh, not in March. It was begun under the Trump administration, under Bill Barr. So I don't know, Amanda. It's what, what well, we he's make, about what to blow the whole thing open, Charlie. He just needed a little bit more time. And he would have proven, he would have uncovered the crimes that were occurring at Department of Justice. Like, that's what he's saying, right? He's, he's putting out a string of events that, uh, yeah, let, let's see what happens here. So apparently, according to him, a former Department of Justice <laughs> official, probably under the Trump administration, because this investigation was opened up under the Trump administration, came to Gates's father and said, I need $25 million to make these bad pictures and other illicit things go away. That's that's Gates's story. It's a hell of a it's it's a hell of a story. I mean, why and why yes. would we not why would we not believe him? Of course, this is just as as Q predicted that there is this child sex trafficking going on. And wow, uh, it'd be interesting to see how Q handles all of this. Yeah, you know, and I mean, he it, wants to show travel records. Um, okay, show us the travel records. I don't. Who knows where this is going? But. Why, have, why did he go on TV to talk about this? Well, because that's what he does. Right. And to snare right. Tucker into it, which is funny. There's a clip going around from a couple, uh, I, I guess, a couple years ago where Gates is t retelling a story about how he's at a party with Tucker and Tucker is sitting on one side and he is with a date. You know, he, he talks about dates that he has a lot in his videos. And Tucker mentioned his show and the girl says, what, what show do you have? Like she didn't know who he was. And this was apparently Matt Gates's date in his retelling of the story from a few years ago. Like, how do you go on a date with Matt Gates knowing he's Matt Gates and not know who Tucker Carlson is unless you're really, really, really out of the loop? Uh, or well, young. Uh, apparently, no. Uh, Matt Gates is is really into telling people about all the times he hung out with Tucker Carlson. And so Tucker Carlson's probably say, yeah, I, maybe we shouldn't book him again. I, I don't know. I'm not sure he's going to be on. So I'm not going to prejudge this investigation, um, but we are going to watch it, uh, obviously. Because I was it's going very to be impressed with Tucker's ability to keep his face completely still, only blinking his eyes intermittently while Gates unfurled this whole thing. I mean, it's really amazing. Like he was he froze his face not to show any emotion I, I kept rewatching it, trying to see, like, did he have any reaction at all? 
No, it was complete disciplined. I, I'm going stone cold face here. It is pretty incredible. Well, this is going to be messy because there are other figures in uh, Florida uh, political circle, shall we say, who've been engaged in certain questionable activities. And again, I don't want to get too far out over our skis. So, no. so let, let's, no. let's, let's, let's jump into this because we'll get back to uh, Florida. Um, all right, you know, one second, putting, though. It is yeah. amazing how Roger Stone keeps turning up in all these stories. For the man who was um, charged on child trafficking schemes, who is producing you know fake IDs for minors and things. Weird. Weird he turns up with Roger Stone. Like how that guy doesn't have a political restraining order to stay away from any elected official or candidate by now is incredible. Um, but yeah, Roger Stone always turns up. If it's Florida and it's skeezy, you're going to find Roger Stone. And of course, they all have to have their picture taken with them because that's yes. what that, that's what, that's they, what do. they do. <laughs> OK, so from The Washington Post this morning, Republicans are opening a new front in the pandemic culture wars, attacking efforts by the Biden administration to develop guidelines for coronavirus vaccination passports that businesses could then use to determine who can safely participate in activities such as flights, concerts and indoor uh, dining. This has now become a big thing among with uh, particularly with uh, your favorite governor, uh, Ron DeSantis of Florida, mm-hmm. who is really, you know, thinks he can run for president or all of this. We are not supporting doing any vaccine passports in the state of Florida. It is completely unacceptable for either the government or the private sector to impose upon you the requirement that you show proof of vaccine to just simply be able to participate in normal society. You know, I, I wrote about this in my newsletter this morning. Wait until they hear about Driver's licenses, photo IDs to vote, social security cards, TSA screening, employer drug tests, birth certificates, proof of residence and citizenship, real actual passports, and the certificates of vaccination that we already require. And and I actually posted a list of all of the vaccinations that you have to have to go to school in Florida. And of course, you have to present a certification of vaccination to go to any school at any age in the state of Florida. But this is the new culture war, isn't it now? Yeah. Vaccine, you know, vaccine passports. When, when this broke out, I guess the a few days ago, when people started talking about DeSantis's opposition to this and other opposition from Republicans, anyone that's ever put their child in a public school knows you have to present these kinds of records. Like it's like what I was watching the reaction from, you know, I hate to say it, but Republican male officials calling this draconian, leading the charge on this. And it's like they have no clue. They have no clue what the kids have to do to go to school. It's like if you're a mom or a dad that went to those appointments and you had to get your kids jabbed while they scream and hold them down and do that, it is not pleasant. You do not forget it. It is not fun. It's not fun to keep up with all the, you know different things you have to get if you're worried about it, spacing. I mean, it's a big thing for the first few years of a child's life. To keep up with that and then have the papers ready, yes, the papers to present to the school to gain entry and participate in normal society. As Randy said, but apparently he didn't go to those appointments. Isn't that what he's saying? Like he's an anti vaxxer now. This is what being an anti vaxxer is about saying, I shouldn't have to do this to do things like go to school. This is why, you know, there's all this debate that happens in school boards and happened in the West. It's being fought with the kids because they didn't want to do it. There's a bunch of, you know, yuppie liberal parents on the West Coast that don't want to take their kids to go get their darn shots and are worried about autism and all this stuff that starts on the QAnon blogs linking these things together. I mean, 
But well, that's, and, where, and, that's where DeSantis well, is. Well, He's the well, anti-vaxxer. By the, by the way, that's a really good point. That where does this lead? This is going to lead to um, re- rejecting the whole notion that you have any kind of a social responsibility to preserve public health by getting a vaccination. But again, as of right now in Florida, if you want to go to a school, if you want to go to a childcare facility, a family daycare home, and any of them, you have to show up with something called Form DH680. Six eight zero, the Florida certification of immunization. Uh, try to try to get in w- without them, uh, and and they keep adding additional uh, requirements to go to go to school. Uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene, of course, uh, becoming the new uh, spokesman for all of this, of um, uh, had some thoughts She's probably about got the some idea- health vitamins to sell you at her CrossFit gym. That'll do you good. Well, you know what's interesting about this? I mean, it, it, I, I think we talked about this on the podcast yesterday. What, what makes this so extraordinary from my point of view is that until about five minutes ago, weren't Republicans in favor of letting private businesses determine their, their standards, you know, come up with policies to make their customers and their employees safe? So now guys like DeSantis are essentially saying the government is going to forbid private businesses from having these rules. I mean, and what's next? Um, the no shoes, no shirt, no service signs are going to have to come down. Um, but here's here's Marjorie Taylor Greene um, doing her thing with this. What should not be put over all of us is something called a <laughs> a vaccine passport, a vaccine passport that Americans would be required to have in order to travel, to go to events, to buy and sell. Now, how are they wanting to push this on to Americans? They are talking to private companies, big corporations, big powerful corporations that will enforce these policies on you. Because you see, if Democrats pass this law, well, then what will all of us say? We will call them communist. We will call them fascist, right? These are the names we will call them. But if the companies do it, then it's a company policy and they're just saying, oh, this is to keep everyone safe when you fly in the airplane. Free market. You need your vaccine passport. Oh, if you're going to come into the football game or the baseball game or the concert, you need your vaccine passport because we're trying to do a good job to keep everyone safe. This is what the Biden administration is trying to talk to these private companies into Mm. doing. Mm. Well, let's analyze that. You see, it's Let's. still the same thing. It's still fascism or uh, communism, or, or, whatever yeah. you want to call it. S- same thing. But it's yeah. in it's coming from private companies. So I have a term for that. I call it corporate communism. <laughs> corporate communism. Clever. Professor Marjorie Taylor Greene has come up with a new category that has escaped the students of totalitarianism until now. Corporate communism. So I, I, I just I lost brain cells following that. Oh, I, 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 I mean, was, they I was are hope- going to do this. They'll pace the law, but it's bad because private corporations are doing it. And then it's corporate communism. Like, ugh, lady, she just doesn't want to play. Like, this just reminds me of the social media debate where people like Marjorie Taylor Greene, they just don't want to play by any rules, right? Like, don't tell me what to do. I'm going to do whatever I want. And if you restrict me in any way, shape or manner, it's censorship and corporate communism, right? Like, it it's all boils down to the same thing. And that anybody that tells me what I don't want to hear, they're evil and fascist, whatever, reject it. It's just, it's so, it's so mind numbing. It's so stupid. 
Well, here's here's in, in the category of I'm old enough to remember. Um, I actually was looking for this book. I, I'm, I'm sure I have it in, in a bookshelf, probably in the next room here. Uh, a book by uh, Mary Marianne Glendon, who is a professor at, at Harvard, who wrote a book about uh, you know right. I think it was called Rights Talk, and uh, this was a big book among conservatives because what it pointed out was you know there was all of this rhetoric that at that at that time was coming from the right. I'm sorry, coming from the left about rights. I have a right to do this. I have a right to do that. And she was saying, well, you know what? Uh, we need to balance that out with responsibilities. That with with all of these rights come responsibilities, and we need to talk about that. And for about twenty years, this was this was conventional wisdom among conservatives that you balanced rights with responsibilities. Sure, you have the right uh, to refuse the vaccination, but then you know you're not going to. There are going to be consequences to to all of that. And what's lost is this whole sense of communal responsibility or the responsibility to the community, to your neighbors, to vulnerable people around you, uh, to your coworkers, uh, to uh, to other elderly people, to behave in a responsible manner. It's 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 like one wing of of what conservatives used to talk about has just fallen off, and all we have left is this kind of this slogan, you know, "Don't tread on me." I want to do what I want to do, no matter what, no matter who I make sick, no matter who I kill, no matter how many grandmas I put in the ground. Yeah, it's it's just so whiny. It just it makes me think it's the cryberry crybaby caucus. It is a crybaby caucus. I don't wanna. It all boils down to that. I don't want to do that. I, I, don't I don't wanna. I don't wanna. And it's just repeat, repeat, repeat. But I do think it's worth, you know, Marjorie Taylor Greene. She's going to do what she wants to do. But Ron DeSantis is in a much higher res- uh, place of responsibility as governor of Florida. And so when he declared on Monday that quote, it's completely unacceptable for either the government or the private sector yeah. to impose upon you the requirement that you show proof of a vaccine to just simply be able to participate in normal society. Well, what about him? Like, he really needs to answer that question because either Ron DeSantis, you are the one that's completely unresponsible because you enforce these mandates every dang day with the list of vaccines that you pointed out in the newsletter this morning. So what is it? Like, are you completely unacceptable? Are you just completely full of it? Completely full of it. Because otherwise he'd be rolling back every one of those mandates right now. Lead the way on anti-vaccine policy, Governor DeSantis. If you don't believe in any of it, then I, I think the people of Florida should probably know. It's all performative at this point. I mean, it's all performative in order to advance his political career in Florida and perhaps nationally. Um, I'm I'm sorry to double down on the crazy this morning. Um, <laughs> you know, but but I, I I have to do one more thing before we get on to maybe slightly less crazy stuff. P- Peter Navarro. <laughs> I got to know where this is going. That guy's a weird duck. He is a weird guy. I mean, he used to be this left wing crank who now become this becomes has become this right wing crank. He was supposed to be the trade guy, and he's gotten really deep into all sorts of things that are way outside of his, uh, shall we say, his uh, his 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 zone, uh, including you know election fraud. He went on Fox last night. He went on Fox last night. With Rachel Campos Duffy, who happens to be from Wisconsin, I I, I, can't, I can't escape this. I mean, it's just it's just like, Wisconsin, you know, you're responsible, really. I think it all, all traces back to you. But I actually am more responsible than I'd like to admit at the moment. <laughs> Do you know that I actually, when I was the editor of Right Wisconsin, we sponsored this big event called the Right Women Awards to encourage no. conservative women. 
And one of the first winners of the Right Women Awards was, ta-da, Rachel What did Cain- she do to earn such a prestigious honor? I'd rather not talk about it anymore. <laughs> just, okay, now, now you have to say, so it's not something weird. You've just made no, it weirder. No, 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 Rachel Camp. I mean, she was she was a very, at that point- Yeah, she's a she, mom. How many kids she, do they have? She she's balancing like, like it about, all. About yeah. 100, no, no, no. But what she was doing was, at that point, this was pre-Trump, she was uh, the voice of of Hispanic conservatives that, oh, that yeah. back, and yeah. pushing the idea that the Republican Party and conservatives needed to be more inclusive and needed yep. to change their tone. I mean, it's to what's where she is now has no relationship to where she used to be, but who knows? So anyway, she was one of the award winners and she gave a speech and it's remembered in Wisconsin circles as one of the longest speeches ever, but whatever. It's oh, really? Huh. So, so now she's come to her kingdom. She's a host on Fox News and she's on with Peter Navarro, who is uh, talking about the COVID. He, now he's become a vaccine expert. Uh, there's a there's a big story in the Washington Post about how he, he you know, managed to to you know bollocks this whole thing up but he, he was on last night and he's calling COVID-19 the Fauci virus I mean I I have to play this because you're going to think that I'm making this up you know that Anthony Fauci it's not just enough to say that I disagree with Anthony Fauci or Anthony Fauci uh you know as a self-promoter or whatever he he is no he's calling him the father of the virus um so here is Here's Peter Navarro on Fox News and Rachel Campos Duffy completely lets it slide. The father of Fauci's the father of the actual virus. Fauci's the guy. This virus, according to Bob Redfield at the Centers for Disease Control, came from the Wuhan lab. And basically, we had Fauci not only funding that lab with American taxpayer dollars, he authorized this thing called gain-of-function research. He allowed the Chinese Communist Party, the People's Liberation Army, to genetically engineer a virus using gain-of-function. I call it the Fauci virus now. If he wants to be the father of something, he's the father of the virus that's killed over half a million Americans. Well, Peter, we're still trying to get to the bottom of that, and we're definitely going to bring you back when we get more information on it. Um, but you're right. There's a lot of questions out there. Peter, I can't thank you enough for joining me today. Um, okay, oh, so this is like, an, like another big conspiracy in the Matt Gates way that Navarro's um, ju- just about to explode. So the allegation is that Dr. Fauci geez. somehow collaborated maybe through the World Health Organization to fund a Chinese lab to leak the virus and yes. then unleash destruction upon the earth because yeah. he's a elitist global killer huh yeah fauci is the father of the virus that's very catchy oh for fuck's sake I mean, this is the, so you know what i mean, I mean a part of, <laughs> part of it is, is just kind of to remember that that up until a few months ago these guys were running the country these, thought, these guys were in the white house navarro's big spiel i think last year a couple months ago was that he was the one inside the white house trying to get people to take this seriously Right, like trying to buy up supplies and blah blah blah, and now he's just twisted it. It's all Fauci's fault, and I, I will say it's pretty incredible among you know Republicans, just you know normal Republican people. the The thing about Fauci lying about masks is so ingrained. I mean, every time I have a conversation about COVID and masks, well, you know, Doctor Fauci lied about that. Uh, and it's yeah. just you can't you can't, no, can't. Kick that stone away. It's not moving. And so I don't, that's completely unrelated to this grand conspiracy that Navarro is coming up with, but that's pretty amazing by Fox News. Essentially like, yeah, 
we'll, we'll look into this and have you yeah. back. You can explain further. I mean, just, this, is a, new, this is a new narrative. Like, tell me more. Well, and the, and the Post is is uh, reporting this morning that uh, that Navarro privately urged Trump to uh, acquire these critical medical supplies in the early yeah. days of the coronavirus outbreak, and then after he was ignored, Navarro went off and pursued his own ad hoc strategy that blew more than a billion dollars in federal funds that has prompted multiple Jeez. probes. I mean, was we, this part of the Jared Kushner thing? God, who's that yeah. guy? We just had these cranks and these weird. Yeah, where is Jared Kushner? Is he is mm. probably probably polishing his Nobel Peace Prize somewhere. <laughs> so, okay. He's the, enjoying the, his peace in the Middle East that he brokered. It, because that was easy. So interesting story that these two Capitol police officers are now suing Donald Trump for, um, for his role in inciting the, uh, the, the insurrection. I, I actually think that that's somewhat significant because again, it opens another legal venue to gather more information and perhaps force people to to tell what uh, what they know, what you know, what what they knew and what the and when they knew it. So this yeah, is I mean the communications that still went on in the White House. We that, that's still a complete black box, right? For what people did at the White House in those hours that the insurrection was unfolding, and those frontline Capitol Hill officers were left to just fend for themselves. Um, this is going to go on for a long time. I saw. Was it yesterday that something like 14,000 hours of surveillance tape had just been turned over to the House Oversight Committee? I mean, this is not over. No, it is uh, not. It's not. It's not over. And and if it takes these private law, civil lawsuits to to you know break open the truth, and then, then I'm all for that. I I mean, obviously, there's the the ongoing criminal investigations, which are important. I have uh, less and less confidence that Congress is going to be able to do anything, certainly not on a bipartisan basis. But, you know, these these civil lawsuits like the Dominion lawsuit uh, about mm. the, the the big election lie could could make a difference. You know, I started to make a list of all the unresolved big lawsuits that are still swirling around. There's Dominion, Smartetic, or how do you say Smartmatic. Um, these from the Capitol Police officers, Georgia Secretary of State criminal investigation, Trump's you know, taxes and whether he overinflated assets for personal tax gain. I mean, those are just off the top of my head. And those are all pretty big and may take, I not this year, one, two, three years. Well, and there was just a law, there was just a ruling yesterday, right? In the, in that lawsuit from the woman who, who had, uh, was claiming, I think she's suing Trump for defamation because she had said that, you know, he had groped her and then he denied it and said she had made it up. So, yeah, there, there are a lot of these things that are going on right now. Dean Carroll still? Yeah. Oh, well, that's right. That's right. Yeah. Okay. So let's talk about this, uh, this memo. Um, and I want to get your insight on all this because there's, there's something I don't understand about it. This is the, this, uh, new memo, uh, from, you know, the, somebody in the house Republican conference that argues that the Republicans, uh, future demands they quote embrace our new coalition because president trump's trump's gift didn't come with a receipt whatever that means so the, the headline is cementing gop as the working class party and axios is reporting it leaves no doubt that republicans at least in the house will be doubling down on donald trump for the foreseeable future so we kind of knew this right um but what do the Republicans mean when they say that they are the working class party right now? I'm, I'm a little vague on this. Well, they keep saying it, which is so funny. It just reminds me of talks I have with Senator DeMint, Senator Cruz, where they would say, I'm going to be hopeful and optimistic. You know, I'm going to be hopeful and optimistic. And that's how we'll win races. Like they would both say these things in speeches and we'd have to sit them down and say, 
you can't just say I'm hopeful and optimistic. Like you just have to project that in the things that you talk about. And that's what they're doing here by saying we're the party, the working class. What does that mean? What does that mean? Are they working frontline jobs? Do they know? Do they have a coalition of people that work minimum wage and are truly paycheck to paycheck that work retail, you know, the kind of menial jobs that really represents the working class? Because every time I see them talk about it, it has to do with like business owners, which is great. It's always small business, but there's a huge difference between being a small business owner and being a true member of the working class and kind of a service sector economy or a manual labor job in my mind. I mean, I, you know, maybe we're just misreading this. Maybe they're just saying, you know, we're going to, you know, you know, appeal to fo- these folks on on culture war grounds. But in terms of the working class, it it obviously doesn't mean support for unions. It doesn't mean right. um, opposition to right to work laws. It doesn't mean raising the minimum wage. It doesn't mean making it easier to get health care. It doesn't mean, uh, you know, family leaves or anything like that. It doesn't mean more occupational uh, safety regulations. Uh, they're going to vote. They, you know, going into the midterms, they will have voted against uh, any of the infrastructure packages, right? Any of these things that that would actually go into the pockets of folks. I'm not saying that I would have voted for these things. I'm just saying that, you know, in what way are they working class? With the possible exception of we're in favor of higher tariffs on on China. I mean, it, it, outside of trade, what is the working class agenda? I'm just... The only way I can really read it is that it's more geographic and we are going to focus on the Trump coalition that is predominantly represented by people in rural areas. Well, this is from, from the from the memo. So they're going to go heavy mm-hmm. on immigration. They're going to contrast the GOP's immigration policies uh, against the, the Biden border crisis. Uh, they're going to obviously hammer, uh, you know, China and their predatory uh, trade practices. And then they're going to uh, go after Wall Street, big corporations. The Democrats' coziness with China results from their coziness with Wall Street. They're going to hammer the Democrats on the lockdowns. Um, they're going to hammer wokeness and identity politics. Uh, obviously, they hate big tech. Uh, this one, the author of this memo, suggests Republicans hold working class roundtables, create a working families task force. I don't know what that means, but I think part of it is, and I think you pointed this out on Twitter. They're kind of going to. They will embrace the blacklist, the corporations mm-hmm. that say that they're yeah. not going to give them money because they voted to overturn the election. So they're going to make that a badge of honor that they are anti-business now. So anti-big business, I guess. And that was actually the most interesting part of the memo because I think that's pretty smart of them to do, right? Like They're not going to be getting the corporate donations from a Coca-Cola because the progressive left is watching the donations like a hawk in drawing line democracy, which I think is very smart for the left to do. It's what I, you know, it's what I believe in doing as well. If these people are not going to agree to the concept of a free and fair election, then no one should support them. Without elections, we don't have any kind of democracy, period, the end. But what they're saying now, um, and I think they're smart uh, tactically because this is the only road, this is the only card they have to play. It's saying like, okay, put us on the blacklist. We're going to double down on the insurrection. We're not going to apologize for it. We're not going to change course at all. We're going to say that it was the right thing to do. And we're going to try to pull a Bernie Sanders and just say, we don't want your corporate donations anyway, and try to pursue a low dollar um, independent fundraising model. I mean, good luck with that. I think you can 
do that more easily on a national level when you have a presidential race, you know, that only happens every four years. Can you actually replicate that model for house guys who are up every two years? Ooh, I think that, you know, they're, they're chomping down the tums right now in trying to do online fundraising only in small $5 increments versus, you know, these breakfasts that they would do where everyone that showed up would give them at least 1500 bucks. You go to some dinners, people have $10,000 a table, you know, but that's, that is probably what Republicans should do, even though I, I think it's kind of shaky. No, I, yeah. So it became a joke during, and I'm, I'm trying not to turn this into a joke, but it became a joke during the, the Trump and, you know, the Trump years that this was infrastructure week and you had, you know, one infrastructure week after another, and next week's going to be infrastructure week. And, and they, and of course, never, never happened. Um, I've, I've often thought that if Trump would have started with a big infrastructure package, that a lot of his presidency would have turned out very, very differently. Do you agree with that? Mm. I don't know, because here's my thing about infrastructure week and infrastructure bills. Nobody knows what the heck it means. I mean, you could have 10 different people in a room and they would all give you a a different thing that they think infrastructure means to them. To me, it's roads, bridges, hardwired stuff, cement, pavement, that kind of thing. You ask somebody else, they they say it's healthcare. You ask somebody else, they say it's education. And so what it always ends up being is some kind of free for all. And we're going to end up with what two trillion dollar bill is what Biden is talking about. I was buzzing through the Washington Post story. One of the items in there was that they're going to replace every lead pipe in America. Which, like, okay, great. Like, I, I'm not for lead pipes. Lead is pretty bad for you. But you're going to rip up every building that has a lead pipe. I mean, where are they all? Have you talked to any like historic commission for these old buildings? I just I, that's on the agenda. Like, what? How about we just have a pilot program to test all the bridges that are about ready to bust? And fix those. It's just there's such a resistance to doing something that is accountable and could be a you know demonstration project that everybody could see and understand because infrastructure is stimulus and it's just, you know, we're just going to roll everything up like they did the voting rights bill, which is way too big, yeah. and have 800 pages of something, 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 and nobody likes it. And it's just too much. I mean, yeah, you, you mentioned this. Every lead pipe in the country would be replaced. Um, I guess I would like to know more about that. There's a reason, by yeah. the way, why they're they're still there because of the the logistics of getting to them. I and mean, this would be a, a wonderful thing if they you know magically vanish, but it's going to cost a lot of money. Here's another thing: this plan will enable drivers across the country to find electric charging stations for their vehicles on the road. So does this mean that the government is going to buy is going to build these electric charging stations? I guess I missed the part where. You know, uh, Eisenhower's infrastructure bill built all the gas stations. Did the government we build have gas stations? Is it carbon friendly to get rid of all the gas powered cars and I'm, immediately transition the entire fleet to electric cars and build new gas stations? Like, is that is that carbon friendly to just build new new stuff all the time? No, it really isn't. So I'm, I'm again. I'm I'm not clear everything that's that's in there. And of course, uh, this uh, this proposal, this two trillion dollar uh, jobs and infrastructure plan. Would oh, be can paid I rip for- on the broadband part real quick? The what? The what part? <laughs> the, the part, uh, there was a plank in there too, to have uh, broadband everywhere. Oh, yeah. in oh sure. Years. That's a big one. Yeah. Elon Musk is going to have the satellites up in the sky before that ever happens. It's like, you do not have to build out broadband. It is coming. Private sector will take care of that. But by the time they get it wired and spent and spent, how much are they going to do on that when it's already coming? It's just, I don't think this is well thought out. And Biden would be so much well served 
to have clear demonstration projects that he can go cut the ribbon on and say, here's what the money went. Look at how beautiful it is. You know, go replace all the lead pipes in public schools. I'd be happy with that. That would be verifiably good. Um, but that's not, they're Democrats. It's not what they want to do. Well, they're talking about paying for it in part by raising the corporate tax rate and the global minimum tax. And of course, uh, the Chamber of Commerce has already come out against that. I guess I have mixed feelings about this, that if you're going to spend this much money, we're going to have to pay for it at some point. Uh, you know, we, we, we continue to, uh, to, to spend, uh, you know, like a social welfare state and we tax like we're some sort of a, you know, a medieval hamlet. But uh, it, it, at some point, they're going to have to pay for it. But I'm I'm still a little confused. The American Jobs Plan, okay, this is the the two trillion dollar plan, is that right? The two trillion dollar plan. Here's a line from the Washington Post. Oh wait, did we just spend five trillion dollars? Well, 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 what I'm going to get to this. So we we just spent five trillion dollars. So the American Jobs Plan is the next two trillion dollars, right? The American (sighs) Jobs Plan is expected to be followed by a second economic package in April that includes a major expansion in health insurance coverage, childcare subsidies, free access to community colleges, and other proposals. Okay. 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 At some point, um, I really do. I, I know that a lot of the fiscal conservatives turned out to be complete phonies and hypocrites. They no, didn't but we mean get it. to complain because we didn't do that. We get to complain about it. Okay, so here, here's a, just kind of a, li- a list. In The infrastructure is actually only $620 billion uh, from this. So um, the big question, where's the rest? So you have a lot of money to revamp highways, roads, uh, 10 major and 10,000 smaller bridges that you, that you mentioned, mm-hmm, uh, like 80, that. $85 billion to modernize existing transit systems. Okay, right of demand, fine, fine. Uh, $80 billion to, fic- Am's, uh, to fix Amtrak's repair backlog. You knew that Biden was going to spend money on trains, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, what else? Uh, it seeks to replace 50,000 diesel transit vehicles and electrify at least 20% of the country's yellow bus fleet. $25 billion investment in airports. Uh, $17 billion for inland waterways, coastal ports, land ports of entry. Fine, not a big deal. Uh, the American Jobs Plan targets 40% of climate and clean infrastructure investments to disadvantaged communities. Okay. And then there's, so that's $620 billion. Then there's another infrastructure at home, $650 billion, $213 billion to build and retrofit more than 2 million homes. Whose homes? Well, I'm, I'm, I'm unclear. Uh, this would rehabilitate more than 500,000 homes for low and middle income buyers and invest $40 billion to improve public housing. So I'm not sure about that. Then you mentioned broadband. Lead pipes is $111 billion. Uh, the effort would reduce lead exposure in 400,000 schools and child care facilities. Okay, okay. I'm, I'm, not against, I'm not against that. Proposal calls for $100 billion to upgrade and, and build new public schools. I think there's probably some room to do that. Wait, didn't, um, the, didn't the schools get like $120 billion in the COVID bill? Well, yes. This is the problem is that when yeah. you have these multiple bills – have you have you figured out how to spend the money you've already allocated? Now there's something called the care economy that there would also be four hundred billion dollars. Plan expands access to home or community based care for seniors and people with disabilities. Extend this Medicare program. Money follows the person to move uh, elderly nursing home residents out of nursing home residents back into their homes. That sounds like a good thing. Um, research and development, manufacturing and training is five hundred and eighty billion dollars. And that's an infrastructure bill. 
This so, is all so in, about this, infrastructure. We're, we're still, I'm we're, hearing schools. I'm hearing nursing homes. I'm hearing broadband. I heard a little bit about bridges, but we're still in infrastructure, right? The plan invests fifty billion dollars in domestic and in, in domestic semiconductor manufacturing. Now, I'm I'm sorry to sound like an like an old conservative here, but 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 isn't domestic semiconductor manufacturing the kind of thing that the the private sector would be able to do? I'm pretty sure. Is there a shortage? I mean, I've got to look into this, but hey, I, I guess I have one question. H- have we crushed COVID yet? Is that done? Well, are we out the, of the pandemic yet? Has well, that not, happened? Are they are they just checking the box on that, ready to move on? Well, I can't I can't decide whether or not we have impending doom, um, as right? the CDC has said the other day, or or whether or not we really have crushed it because of the vaccines. Um, and we're getting some some good numbers. Uh, I, I don't know. I, I guess at, at, a, at a certain point, I, and, and this and this is the problem. And I know I'm going to get blowback from this. This is the problem of these things not being bipartisan. That I really get the sense that Democrats have folded in on themselves and are talking to themselves. And you you made a brief reference to HR one, which has a lot of good stuff in it. It's got a lot of good stuff, but it is so packed with wish lists and talking points that it's become unwieldy. And may crash and burn because it's not pared down. It's not narrowly focused. And so, and I'm watching increasingly on social media that liberals are basically saying, yeah, we just got to do this now. We got to ram it through. We don't need to compromise. We don't need to talk to the other side. And so you are getting this, this sort of hermetically sealed progressive agenda that I, I kind of wonder at some point. Um, wh- whether or not, you know, Americans are going to go, wait, wait, where's all the money coming from? Where's it all going? Did we really mean to do all of that? And by the way, we do have a, a border crisis and we haven't necessarily licked the pandemic yet. What are we doing here? I wonder, you know, I listened to a few progressive podcasts and it seems to me they're walking into the mistake of the Obama stimulus bill all over again, because as I recall, Barack Obama wasn't like congratulated for all the wonderful stimulus spending that he did to get people out of the 2009 ish recession. Right. Like everybody, like he had problems because a lot of people viewed that as government waste that didn't drastically improve the lives of people who needed it most. That's why Republicans took back the house, blah, blah, blah. If you listen to the progressives, they say, well, Obama's problem was that he didn't spend enough. I don't think they're right about that. And now the Obama people think that Biden can just package this up as um, infrastructure spending and repeat the same stupid mistake. He only has to, Joe Biden only has to do one thing to be successful, and that is to crush COVID and to make sure that schools are open. I do not like the first COVID relief bill because there is a lot of non-COVID related spending, but fine. Like maybe he gets a pass on that because they had to do something early on. He's not going to keep getting that pass. You know, the, what was it? The $86 billion in union pension bailouts that was wrapped up in that. I mean, come on, there was all kinds of money for schools, which is fine, but yes, they should spend that first. But well, if they I, keep, I, I, keep getting away with this, they are sorely, sorely mistaken. And and I, I do get the sense that that you have you know folks sitting around the room, and they're going well you know what do you want to throw in well we're going to throw in this this bailout for the union pension funds or we're going to do this or we're going to do that and you look at this other package and it does look like a, a committee 
um, you know, a committee sat around and everybody had their wish list and they shoved it into the middle of the table and and, and somebody stapled it all together. <laughs> That's the way it feels. Yeah. It's kind of how they do it. I know. That's the people don't really want to know how these things get done. So I mean, I think there's 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 basically the Biden administration's success is 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 you, you said two things. I mean, um, yeah, you you have to lick the pandemic. You have to you know end this, get us to back to a, a normal life. Uh, you have to make sure that the economy recovers, and obviously, all of you know getting people back to school is is essential to all of that. I mean, all it of that. It makes me very that uneasy has, that they're so quick to talk about increasing tax rates while businesses have not recovered from COVID. It is too early for that. Well, see, here's the part that I'm, I'm confused about is, is that we're, much of these relief packages are aid to businesses. We're actually, mm-hmm. here in the state of Wisconsin, we got something like $3 billion. The governor gets to dole out uh, unilaterally, by the way. He doesn't even have to talk to the legislature about it. He gets to dole really? out. And he's giving it out to businesses, so which is fine because they're hurting. And at the same time, talking about raising taxes. Now, maybe we're talking about different businesses. Uh, maybe we're just talking about you know the corporate tax rate. The you know American corporations are doing well, and it's the small mom and pop businesses uh, that we're providing the aid. Maybe that's the answer to all of this. Um, I have to tell you, I don't have uh, is it viscerally that much of of an objection to raising the, the taxes as I do to this con- this growing bipartisan belief that we don't need to care about the the national debt. I mean, mm-hmm. we are sort of like you know whistling past this issue. And you know, look, uh, the Republicans and and Donald Trump contributed to this massively by essentially giving up on the issue, um, you know, turning around once they got power and going, suckers, we don't care. We're, we're going to run up the deficit. We don't care about deficit. We're going to add trillions of dollars. So they basically have destroyed their credibility on the issue. And now you have Democrats coming in and saying, hey, just we're going to put the pedal to the metal. We're just going to spend at a rate that is just it's breathtaking by any measures, people. <laughs> and I I do wonder about that. So I'm less worried about raising some of the marginal tax rates um, at the moment on on even the, the rich who have been doing quite well and corporations who have been doing quite well uh, than I do loading trillions of dollars onto the national credit card, which is going to be there forever. Right, because the corporate tax, you can raise as much as you want. You're not going to make up a trillion dollar budget gap. I mean, there's just not, there's not trillionaires in the American economy that you can tax to get that money. It doesn't add up. I mean, try it. Still won't work. You're still spending too much. It's like when you exercise, you can't, if you have a, you know, 5,000 calorie breakfast, a 2,000 calorie lunch, and then a 10,000 calorie dinner, you, it doesn't matter if you go running for, Nine hours doesn't really? matter if you run a marathon that day. You can't work it off. Really? Huh? Oh, I don't know. Well, maybe ex- not a marathon. By the way, that, that explains a you lot. You can't. I, the, the, what's the saying? You can't outrun <laughs> no, a bad I, diet, which no, is good because I don't like running. <laughs> so now that you're back, what are you? Uh, what are you? What are you? What are you looking at? What is? What is grinding your gears now? I'm finally going to write about Christy Nome. Oh. I'm looking at her. Yeah, you know. She, it's really interesting to watch her position herself. Um, the interview she did with Tucker Carlson the other night was was incredibly revealing to me and how she has been so savagely attacked by the conservative media for 
her trying to chart out a different course on the transgender issue stuff. Um, she agrees with Tucker Carlson and like, you know, all the, I don't know, daily wires, all those people, they have the same goal, but they don't like the strategy that she is pursuing to try to accomplish the same goal. And so all of a sudden they just piled on her, piled on her, like nobody's business. And then the next, you know, she's been on this like rehab tour, talking to everybody, Federalist, Breitbart, Glenn Beck. And she had this kind of odd exchange with Glenn Beck where he kind of chuckled and said, you know, kind of, how's it going? It's amazing how fast people can turn on you, huh? And she's like, yeah, yeah. And then she went on, went on her way in her robotic way. Um, But yeah, they, and it's also interesting to watch how, how much Tucker and Sean Hannity try to position her against Ron DeSantis when DeSantis is clearly their favorite um, because they have been jockeying to see who's the most anti-lockdown, you know, kind of COVID crusader. And every time they ask her a question, it's like, well, you just did what Ron DeSantis did, didn't you? I mean, they're <laughs> pushing her into that second place behind him and just putting her in her spot. And it, it's sort of brutal to watch. I mean, I, I think it's pretty shameful, um, but she's going to, She's going to sit there and take it because she can't do anything about she it. She can't otherwise. do anything about it. She she signed on to this. She bought this ticket. And the thing about it is, is that uh, you know, being the governor of South Dakota, it's going to be hard to compete with the governor of Florida. She just can't kill as many people as Ron DeSantis. You just can't, right? Yeah, so off the ticket, she's going to take the rodeo ride, cowgirl queen. Amanda Carpenter, thanks so much for joining me. Welcome back. Thank you. And thank you for listening to today's Bulwark podcast. I'm Charlie Sykes. We'll be back tomorrow and we'll do this all over again.